0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, the crisis in Ukraine intensifies as civilians seeking to flee the mayhem were reportedly target, targeted by Russian shelling. We've seen very credible reports of um, deliberate attacks on civilians, which would constitute uh, a war crime. Uh, We've seen very uh, credible reports about the uh, the use of certain weapons. We'll get the latest from Ukraine with a live report from CBN's senior international correspondent, George Thomas, in just a moment. And Americans are beginning, are being reminded of the conflict, not only by wall-to-wall coverage on cable news, but at the gas pump as well. The national average now over $4 per gallon, and it is expected to continue climbing. The
2: president's message is that he's going to do everything we can, everything he can, to reduce the impact on the American people, including uh, the price of gas at the tank.
1: He's likely to do everything except what is needed. We'll talk with Texas Congressman August Pfluger about the remedy later here on Washington Watch. And in our Freedom Convoy segment today, the People's Convoy made it to D.C. over the weekend. We'll get a wrap-up on the convoy from Claire Dooley reporter with CHD-TV. And here is some news you'll like. 14 state attorneys general, led by Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita, have filed another lawsuit against the Biden administration. The Biden administration is refusing to respond to a Freedom of Information Act request regarding the collusion between the Biden administration and the National School Boards Association, which, as you'll recall, labeled parents as domestic terrorists. We'll talk with Attorney General Rokita later. On Washington Watch. And finally, FRC's Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies, joins me with some more potentially good news out of Virginia in the effort to push back on the left's crusade to confuse the children in the classroom. All that and more coming up on this edition of Washington Watch. If you miss anything you know where to find it, TonyPerkins.com. Everything's archived right there. The verse for today from our two-year Bible reading plan, Stand on the Word, is Leviticus 18.5. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. God, in his grace and mercy, tells us that yielding to the Word brings life, whereas accommodating the prevailing culture... Is a progressive path that leads to devastating consequences for individuals, families, and for nations. To join us on this journey through the Bible, you can go to frc.org/slash/bible and download the reading program. You can also join me each morning at 8:44 Eastern Time for a daily devotional based upon the reading for the day. You can find that on my Facebook page or at tonyperkins.com. Also, prayer points there. For our brothers and sisters in ukraine all right speaking of ukraine ukrainian officials said today that a third round of negotiations ended without a breakthrough and only small progress on evacuation logistics meanwhile russia stepped up increasingly indiscriminate assaults on civilian targets and infrastructure stoking fears that thousands of ukrainians could die in the coming days unless something changes Joining me now to talk about the latest developments in Ukraine is CBN Senior International Correspondent George Thomas, who is live in Ukraine. George, welcome back to the program.
3: Thank you so much, Tony, for having me back on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for staying up late. I know it's late there, local time. Can you tell us more about what came out of today's talks?
3: Uh, Yeah, absolutely nothing. I mean, again, the the, the Kremlin comes to Zelensky and says, uh, you need to disarm, you need to... Uh, Stop uh, uh, allowing weapons from uh, NATO countries from pouring in. You need to stop uh, uh, international foreign uh, fighters coming into the country. The reports are uh, close to about 140,000 Ukrainians, uh, mostly men. Have uh, poured across the uh, Slovenia, the Hungarian, the, uh, uh, the, the Polish borders in the last 12 days, uh, and uh, you know the Ukrainian embassy in Washington D.C. Tony said uh, close to about 3,000 uh, Americans have signed up uh, and and are uh, on are either here or are on their way. Uh, to Ukraine as part of uh, uh, the initiative by the Zelensky administration to allow foreign uh, fighters to come into into the country and uh, stand shoulder to shoulder with their Ukrainian uh, with their Ukrainian counterparts so um, but look we we have 12 days into this uh, invasion and uh, Russia is losing this war uh, i mean they had uh, envisioned uh, within a few uh, hours 24 to 48 hours that they would lay siege uh, to Kiev, the capital city. Uh, that they would take uh, a good chunk of the eastern part of the country, uh, take the southern part of the country, uh, take the northeastern quadrant of the country. And uh, today, uh, almost three, two and a half weeks into this uh, invasion, they uh, they are stuck, literally stuck in the mud uh, in uh, in the northern parts of uh, of Kiev. <laughs>
1: So, George, let me ask you this question. As you have these uh, foreign, uh, and and they're heavily being screened, so these are legitimate uh, individuals with skills and training that can help the Ukrainian forces, uh, is there sufficient material to uh, equip them when they arrive there in Ukraine?
3: Uh, Yes. I mean, look, since uh, the the last eight years, uh, since uh, Russia invaded back in 2014 in the eastern part of the country, uh, the Ukraine of uh, 2014 is very different from the Ukraine of uh, 2022. Uh, I mean, they've gotten a lot more weapons uh, in the last eight years. They've beefed up uh, uh, their their ability to defend themselves and go on the offensive. Uh, the New York Times reporting that the, uh, the U.S. has uh, given them close to about 17,000 uh, anti-tank uh, missiles. The Pentagon uh, reporting, uh, releasing information that as early as last December, uh, they were sending in Uh, the the kinds of weapons uh, needed for Ukrainians to wage uh, uh, potentially uh, an urban warfare uh, in this country. You know, this weekend, uh, Tony, I had a chance to go to an undisclosed location uh, uh, away from Lviv uh, to get a sense of what was going on outside of Lviv. And, uh, you know, I took a number of major uh, roads, and along those major roads, uh, you know, there are these uh, offshoots to different small little villages uh, uh, throughout the, this part of the country. And every single one of those um, uh, turns, either to the left or to the right, uh, was, uh, the, you know, they had uh, put up sand sandbags, they had erected uh, concrete slabs. And at each one, I mean, I saw dozens of them. At each one of them, there were civilians. Uh, who were armed, uh, many of them armed with AK-47s and other weapons, uh, but uh, the, the sense, and in fact, coming into Lviv, coming from the outside, coming into the city, there are major, major checkpoints, uh, choke points, necessarily ringing the, the city, and they are heavily uh, barricaded. Uh, you've got to go zigzag uh, through them, there are people that are checking your ID to see if you, uh, you know, A, you're, you're a resident of the city, why you're coming to the city. If you're not a resident of the city, uh, they are building structures, they're digging trenches. Uh, look, this is a city that is very far away, you know, about six hours by train from the capital city, Kiev, has not seen any action uh, to speak of. Uh, apart from, for example, the the the, the missile strike on the uh, airport, the civilian airport, about five hours, four and a half hours south of us uh, in Vysnati, um, uh, but, uh, but apart from that, uh, we haven't seen any action yet. It is a city that is tantamount to a city on on a war footing, and they are not right. taking any chances uh, whatsoever.
1: Uh, George, the office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights has confirmed uh, 406 civilians killed in Ukraine since uh, Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin's invasion began. Another 800 uh, plus of civilians were injured as of midnight Sunday, according to the office, noting that fighting has stymied accurate reporting and the numbers are actually higher. What have you been hearing there on the ground from your sources?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Because you see, I mean, I have I have a colleague uh, uh, who made a daring trip to Erpin uh, in the last twenty four hours to rescue her son. Uh, you've seen the images. Erpin sits just about northwest of uh, Kiev, and they uh, Erpin is to the northwest, Sumi is to the northeast, and uh, they have been shelling uh, these two cities. Uh, incredibly for the last 24 48 hours and it's, it's just been unbelievable uh, they're not going after military structures uh, and you're talking high rise apartment uh, complexes they're going after hospitals they're going after churches they're going after schools uh, you know we're not talking about the gaza strip i was in the gaza strip when 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 uh, 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 hamas was using Uh, civilian structures, hospitals, schools, mosques. uh, They were using civilians as shields Uh, This is not the same situation here. There is absolutely no evidence that Ukrainian soldiers are hiding in churches, are hiding in hospitals, are hiding in schools, are hiding in high-rise apartment buildings. Absolutely no evidence to to this. So uh, the question that the uh, International Criminal Court is asking is, why is Russia, are the attacks against these civilian structures tantamount to war crimes uh prime minister uh, of uk uh, boris johnson says in his mind there is no doubt uh, that uh, vladimir putin is uh uh, 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 uh is an, is in an essence charged with uh, with war crimes he's accusing him of committing war crimes by going after uh, these structures i think my sense here tony is that you see a desperation uh, on the part of the kremlin they have made No significant advances. Okay, look, they they have the the northern part of Kiev surrounded. Uh, They have Kherson in the south, a very strategic city. They have encircled uh, Mariupol, another very strategic city. They haven't taken the city uh, as of right now. Uh, They are continuing their advances, uh, attempts at advancing in the eastern part of the country. But the Ukrainians are putting up a very, very stiff fight. And in places where, which is actually remarkable, in places where, like for example, in Kherson and Mariupol, where they are surrounded, and in some cases they've taken over, like for example in Kherson, thousands of Ukrainians are coming out and confronting these Russian soldiers and waving the Ukrainian blue and yellow flag in the face of these Russian soldiers. I mean, it's incredible. Talk about defiance. Uh, Again, the sense that that you cannot subjugate us.
1: And it starts clearly. Well, it starts clearly at the top. President Zelensky has shown uh, tremendous courage and boldness in the face of this invasion. Final question. We're almost out of time, George. I do thank you for joining us. But one of the reasons we like to come to you is because you understand not only what's happening there on the ground in terms of the military, but spiritually uh, the well-being of the church this weekend. Churches met. Give us a sense of what's happening in the church there in Ukraine.
3: Yeah, they are. Talk about uh, Tony. Talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus. They have uh, churches have uh, basically turned every square inch of their uh, of their uh, structure into a shelter uh, of Christian homes. People are opening up their homes, uh, churches, hospitals, um, rather uh, offices uh, uh, and restaurants. Uh, People are just opening up their homes to complete strangers. I did a story just a few days ago on a young 22-year-old girl. Who lives in this tiny Christian Ukrainian Christian lives in a tiny tiny apartment with her brother, and she invited five complete strangers who had been who had fled from Kyiv, and they're staying with her. Her mother has about twenty four people in her home. Uh, this is the spirit of Ukraine: uh, the sense that in the middle of fighting a battle, they're also opening their homes and being the hands of Jesus and, uh, to and those And that's who the need. church.
1: That's the role of the church. George Thomas, we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray for your safety as well as our brothers and sisters throughout you, Ukraine. Sir. I appreciate it. Folks, stick Thank with you. us. On the other side of the break, Congressman Fluger joins us from Texas. Don't go away.
4: For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a
3: dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans.
0: He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses.
4: The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org.
0: Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace.
1: How do you respond when your child asks, Am I important? Read to them what God says. Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verse 29.
2: Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Self-worth is at a premium. Point out a bird and tell them that God feeds the birds and they are more valuable to God than any bird. He loves your children and cares about them. It is up to you to instill in your children their personal worth to God. If the birds are important to God, think, how much more so are your children?
4: That
1: is an awesome thought.
0: Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at HopeForTheHome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home.
4: Is the ark on Mount Ararat? This is Ken Ham, an Aussie transplant with a passion for God's word and the gospel. Many people have gone on expeditions to hunt for Noah's Ark. Now, most explorers search on Mount Ararat in modern-day Turkey. But is this the right place to look? Genesis says the Ark landed on the mountains of Ararat, which is a wide area, not specifically on what we call Mount Ararat today. Now, underneath Mount Ararat are thousands of feet of sediment laid down during Noah's flood. Also, it's a volcano, and it appears to have formed after the flood. So, it's very unlikely this is the mountain the Ark landed on. And even if it was the right place, the Ark would have probably been buried under volcanic ash. So, where's the Ark? Stay tuned.
5: Noah's Ark might not be on Mount Ararat, but it is in Kentucky. Learn about the full size Noah's Ark with three decks of exhibits and a zoo when you visit AnswersRadio.com.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. Remember the website, TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said the U.S. is considering a ban on Russian oil imports. We are now in, uh, in very active discussions with our European partners uh, about banning the, uh, the import of Russian oil uh, to our countries, while, of course, at the same time maintaining a steady uh, global supply of, uh, of oil. That was Secretary Blinken yesterday on Meet the Press. But administration officials said today that no decision has been made at this time. Calls for a full embargo have been growing in volume as Russia continues its invasion of Ukraine. Republicans, joined by some Democrats, point out that uh, exempting Russia's single largest industry provides Moscow with hundreds of millions of dollars in cash revenue each day, each day, from the European Union, the United States, and the United Kingdom, joining me now to talk more about this is uh, Congressman August Pfluger, who is a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee and ranking member on the House Committee on Homeland Security, on uh, the subcommittee on uh, Intelligence and Counter. A counterterrorism. He represents the 11th Congressional District of Texas. I said he was uh, coming to us from Texas. He is actually in D.C., but he represents a good chunk of Texas. Congressman, welcome back to the program.
4: Well, Tony, thank you very much uh, for having me today.
1: L- let me ask you this. Are you encouraged that a ban on Russian oil is now in consideration?
4: Well, I'll be encouraged when it actually happens. And then my question for the administration is, what are you waiting on? You know, how many nuclear power facilities have to be attacked? How many thousands of Ukrainians have to be killed? How many horrific images do we have to watch in the country of Ukraine? Uh, The shelling, the artillery, the bombing. I mean, what's it going to take? I mean, this needs to happen now. And, you know, the the press secretary made a comment uh, maybe a day or two ago saying something to the effect of, you know, we have to be concerned about the global supply of oil because if we limit that supply by placing an embargo or, or um, you know, doing something with the Russian supply, that it may drive prices up. Well, I'd, I'd like to say that they started that on January 20th of last year when they took office, that they did something to the global supply because their full-on assault against our own domestic production has limited supply throughout the world. Uh, and, and now it's time to be strong, uh, to reverse course, uh, and to help the Ukrainians out by not putting pocket money into the pocket of Putin.
1: Yeah, I mean we've we've uh, well, I say we, I don't want to use that word too generally. It, this administration has put us into this situation as you pointed out with their domestic production policies. We now are in this bind. Now you have introduced legislation uh, entitled Midland over Moscow returning a focus on domestic oil production, explain.
4: Well, that's exactly right. Midland over Moscow is not just some catchy phrase. It actually gets us back to energy dominance. And it does three things. Number one is it focuses on domestic production. It unleashes the innovation that we have right here. I represent the Permian Basin, but there's plenty of producing regions in the United States that we can get back to energy dominance. Number two is it requires the White House to come up with an energy security plan. What is their plan to make our energy not only good for our domestic use, reliable, affordable, but also how does it help our partners and our allies? And number three, it opens up market access by cutting the bureaucratic red tape throughout the world and allowing us to export that product where it needs to go to, again, provide that reliability. Energy security is national security. Midland over Moscow puts our own domestic energy front and center in the world stage. And I truly believe we wouldn't be in this situation had the administration done this.
1: I think you're 100% correct, Congressman Fluger. I mean, this is this is really not difficult to figure out. I mean, we, we have cut off domestic production. We were at a point uh, in the last administration of energy independence, first time in, uh, and, and really as far back as I can remember when I worked in the oil field in Oklahoma, that we were producing oil to the degree that we were export, exporting it. Now we're dependent upon Russian oil, the president having conversations, with well, the administration having conversations with Venezuela and now the president may t- travel to Saudi Arabia, making us dependent once again upon Middle Eastern oil.
4: You know, at what point in time is the administration going to learn the lesson? We don't need Iranian oil, Russian oil, we don't need OPEC to be producing more. We have what we need right here, and we can do the job better and cleaner than anybody else. You know, just a couple of short weeks ago, I was in Ukraine on a congressional delegation had the chance to meet with senior leaders, including President Zelensky, and we talked about energy security. He said he did not believe that we would be in this situation if the Nord Stream project did not exist. I mean, think about what that statement is that energy security is such a degree of national security that the president of Ukraine did not think that we would be in a situation that his country would be invaded by Putin. We don't need to be brokering deals with Iran or Venezuela or any other malign actor. We've got what we have right here. We need to focus on domestic energy production. That's what Midland over Moscow represents.
1: Just uh, this afternoon, uh, Gas Buddy came out and identified that we now have reached the highest level ever for uh, gasoline, just slightly eclipsing uh, what we had back in 2008. Uh, now, Congressman, we can't flip a switch and get the production rolling to address this current crisis today. What's the timeline? If the president and the administration were to get it right, begin domestic production, how long would it take us to get out of this bind?
4: Well, the production is, uh, you know, in the Permian Basin, for instance, is actually at a really good level. But but the problem is that the facilities, the pipelines, I mean, there are plenty of pipelines that the Biden administration uh, has refused to certify. They've weaponized some of the agencies and departments, and they won't certify them. So getting that product to the ports, to the Gulf Coast, to the East Coast, to the Atlantic, so that it can then be shipped over, that's going to take time. It's going to take time to build those facilities. We need to cut the red tape. and and start planning and permitting export terminals in this country. That will take several years. I mean, you have to imagine that's two to three years from the time that you say, yes, we're going to do it to the time that it actually gets built, maybe even longer. So reversing course is a step-by-step process, but we need to take that first and most important step right now. Uh,
1: But but even with that, you know, the oil prices, a lot of it is driven by speculation. Should just the fact that America is making the right policy decisions is going to take a little bit of the edge off as people realize there is a solution uh, down the road. Congressman, we're up against a break. Always great to talk with you. Thank you for your leadership on uh, Capitol Hill.
4: Tony, thank you. Great to see you. And thank you for getting this story out.
1: All right. Absolutely. All right. Coming up, the trucker led people's convoy is in Washington, D.C. in the metro area. We'll get the latest from a reporter who has been traveling with the convoy from the very start. Stay tuned. We're back with more Washington Watch right after this. (laughs)
0: Here's Dan Celia with today's Stewardship Moment. I believe there is no better system of giving than that which is in Scripture. Our tithe is the minimum that we should do for the advancement of God's kingdom. Even if there were no scriptural grounds for tithing, it would be the most reasonable thing that we as Christians could do in light of God's infinite grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. We have been entrusted with the gospel, the grace of God for the good of the world. That is the foundation upon which our stewardship, our giving, our tithes, our offerings should be built upon.
1: God tells us, them who honor me, I will honor.
0: You've just heard a stewardship moment with Dan Celia of Financial Issues Ministry, helping you plan, give, and invest wisely. For more information, log on to financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org. Judy Goodell and her husband set up a charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation.
2: What we love about it is that it represents stewardship principles that we feel strongly about. So we got very, very excited about this opportunity.
0: With a charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation, an AFA supporter can guarantee a permanent monthly income, as well as supporting the American Family Association for years to come.
2: We do feel convicted about really praying about all that God has really blessed us with. And so many people we know just want to leave it all to their kids. And we know the danger of that. And so... We just are really just trying to pray through it, and God gave us great confirmation as we prayed that this would be a good use of the Lord's money. Find out if
0: a charitable gift annuity is right for you at 800-326-4543, extension 345, or email foundation at afa.net. Taking a stand,
6: Defending Freedom Convoy.
1: You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Well, the trucker-led people's convoy arrived in D.C. in the metro area over the weekend and uh, continued its peaceful—we underscore peaceful—demonstration by uh, circling around the D.C. Beltway for hours yesterday and again to today. You know, this is uh, one of the reasons, and I've I, I've I've talked to people all across the country who have uh, watched. Um, the convoys come through their communities standing on the bridges and, 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 and they just described it as a great patriotic event. I mean, they said it was, you know, people were, it was a celebratory environment. Um, you know, everybody just got along. It was just a great event. We've talked to, you've heard on here on the program, people who are a part of the convoy. And, and I say all that to say, I was reading an article this weekend by NBC news. Okay. NBC news, uh, Ben Collins, And he writes about uh, the American offshoot of the Freedom Convoy that brought chaos to Canada's capital is promising to stop traffic outside of Washington, D.C. on Saturday. This was written actually on Friday. Uh, But exact plans plans remain vague Friday as the group hit its last pit stop in Maryland. Then he goes on in the third paragraph to say, according to extremism researchers following the movement, the convoy now consists of several dozen tractor-trailer trucks and hundreds of cars. And he goes throughout the whole article uh, quoting this researcher of extremism you know, to suggest that these God-fearing, American-loving patriots who have taken time out of their schedules, their busy schedules, their livelihoods, to make a statement for freedom are somehow extremist. This is why people do not trust the media. And folks, this is why you shouldn't listen to the mainstream or the legacy media. Well, joining us uh, today in our special Freedom Convoy segment, I have Claire Dooley. She is a reporter with uh, CHD TV who has been with the convoy since day one reporting on the movements. Claire, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. Thanks
6: for having me.
1: All right. Tell us uh, what this experience has been like. You know, you've crossed the country with this uh, convoy.
6: Yeah, So from the beginning, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, obviously, being sent out with a bunch of truckers, but uh, I was quickly and, and joyfully surprised at at how kind and good these men are. These men are are, are family uh, family men. They're fathers. They're they're small business owners, and for them, they care about freedom. But they also care about freedom for everyone. It doesn't matter who it, who it is and if they believe what they believe or not. Um, it's about having freedom of speech and, and uh, bodily autonomy and sovereignty of the self. So we started in Adelanto, California. And all along the way, I've never felt more safe or cared for by a group of men in my entire life. And so it's been an absolute joy to travel across the country and see all the people coming out to lift up these truckers and the people's convoy and bring them to D.C. where they are now. Uh,
1: So given what you've seen firsthand of the people coming out, you've seen the people of the convoy, you've seen that all of this has been peaceful. Uh, It's been, you know, kind of like a 4th of July parade moving all the way across (laughs) the country. What do you think about the legacy media and how they're covering this?
6: I've never been more shocked at the difference and what the media is saying versus what's actually going on here. So all of the people here care about freedom. And, and most of them will tell you that they don't care if it's about, they're not, they're not exactly pro-Trump or anti-vax. These people just care about freedom. And, and the news is, is um, calling them QAnon mythology Funded right. or um, you know pro Trump, pro anti-vax, you know uh, dangerous white supremacist, and here I see people of all colors, all walks of life, uh, all ages, families, children, um, young people, old people, and and everyone here has has been so peaceful and so um, precise in what they want, and and now that we've landed in D.C., I think a lot of the media kind of expected the convoy to just jump in and cause cause mayhem and traffic. And, and that's not their intentions. And so the organizers have really been very diligent in how they move forward and, and making sure that they take their time, they play things out right. And, and they get, they accomplish what they started off to do. The the goal is not to cause division. It's to, to unite people under one cause. And so it's really beautiful to see that moving through these different cities.
1: And speaking of that, in D.C., they've I've seen unprecedented security in D.C. Uh, beginning last weekend, they had, uh, you know, the, uh, the buses and the snowplows blocking exits, police everywhere. It was in, a nightmare trying to move through the city. I mean, w- what has been the response among the convoy in terms of the what D.C. has done in preparation for them?
6: So everyone in the convoy once again has a common goal and they want their voices to be heard. And so for the past two days, instead of jumping in, the entire convoy has been riding around the the Beltway, which surrounds DC. And so yesterday, the lead truck of the Beltway, on the Beltway, reached the end of the route, which was the beginning for some people. And the convoy stretched all the way around the entire Beltway, which was 63 miles long. And so these guys, once again, are being cautious. They don't want anyone to get arrested. They don't want another January 6th on their hands. Right. And so they're right. they're being very cautious moving forward.
1: Yeah, it, it, I, I, well, it speaks for itself. All the way across the country, it has been a very peaceful, patriotic move movement, just celebrating freedom and saying, look, respect our freedom. And I applaud the truckers and all of those involved. Uh, in the convoy. Claire, thanks so much for joining us. Great to talk with you. Thank
6: you so much, Tony.
1: All right. You know, I I wonder if things might have been different had they responded to Black Lives Matter and Antifa when they were burning the city back in the summer of 2020. Couldn't find the police then, almost. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita. He's next.
7: Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we believe religious liberty is an inherent human right that needs to be protected by all governments. Tragically, religious persecution is increasing in many regions around the world, although it is rarely acknowledged by the mainstream media. Christians are called by God to care for the persecuted church, the weak and downtrodden, and those who cannot defend themselves. That is why it is imperative that believers advocate for the persecuted. You can learn more about this issue and what you can do to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves by going to frc.org/religious-liberty. There you will find Family Research Council's latest resources on religious freedom. Learn what steps you can take to help the cause of the persecuted by visiting frc.org/religious-liberty.
4: What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source.
0: The God Who Speaks, the award-winning documentary from the American Family Association, is now available in a special limited edition DVD set. This release includes a Sunday school curriculum and two hours of additional footage. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to get your copy today. thegodwhospeaks.org.
3: I refer to your part-time job as what you do outside of your home, outside of your family, to generate an income for your family. Your full-time job is what you do within your family. We're on the go consistently, people hustling, trying to get it. And I just want to remind everybody to, whoa, 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 pop the brakes. Make sure that we are not neglecting our families in the process.
0: Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Show up at your full-time jobs, ready to work.
5: <laughs>
4: The Raising Godly Boys Minute with Mark Hancock. Have you ever heard of the seat grip? For decades now, fathers have taught their sons how to ride a bike using the seat grip technique. The father holds the bike upright by firmly gripping the back of the seat while running along behind the bike. The son steers and pedals confidently, knowing dad is behind him holding him up. Finally, the day comes when dad removes his grip. The boy is pedaling, steering on his own but doesn't realize it. He still thinks dad is supporting him. How do you raise a boy to become a godly man? You hold him up when he's young and vulnerable, but you let him feel what it's like to steer and pedal by himself. When the timing is right, confidence built up, you release your grip. For ideas on how to grow your boy's confidence, visit Trail Life USA or RaisingGodlyBoys.com.
1: You can raise godly boys. Visit RaisingGodlyBoys.com raisinggodlyboys.com welcome back this is washington watch i'm tony perkins website is tonyperkins.com 14 states are suing the biden administration this is like uh, over and over Uh, We're seeing this. Well, this time it's over its refusal, the Biden administration's refusal, to provide the communications that preceded the infamous October 4th Department of Justice memo targeting concerned parents across the nation. Well, since the release of that memo, it was revealed that the White House worked together with the National School Boards Association, which equated the pushback from concerned parents as a form of domestic terrorism. With me now to talk about the 14-state effort and to get some answers uh, in their effort to get the answers is uh, the one leading it, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. General Rokita, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, Tony. So um, should we be surprised you're using the Freedom of Information Act request to find just ask the administration, give us the record, show us what happened, come forth with it, and they're saying nothing, right?
5: Yeah, nothing after five months, you know. And and initially, I didn't use anything that any citizen or, or person in this country could use the Freedom of Information Laws to understand um, what the relationship was between the Department of Justice and the National School Boards Association uh, in terms of this. Number one, at the end of September, the School Boards Association calling the parents of this country, who simply are caring about the raising of their children, in this case, vis-a-vis what curriculum they were being taught in their public school, um, and calling them domestic terrorists for it. And then five days later, now think about this, Tony, five days later, the Department of Justice coming out with a memo to um, federal prosecutors, FBI, and how to work with local law enforcement to, in fact, go into school board meetings or, or at least monitor them in some way uh to see you know what acts these parents were doing in furtherance of domestic terrorism um now it as you know tony the federal government doesn't do anything in five days uh <laughs> so the uh, the obvious connection here is that it was probably pre-coordinated
1: well uh, in fact and, i mean it looks it when i saw the Letter from the National School Boards Association and the precise language used in referencing various statutes, including the Patriot Act, all these other provisions that almost no one would know told me they were being coached by somebody.
5: Right, right. And, you know, but let's be honest about it. I always do honest investigations. I want to know what the facts are. So tell us the facts. Ignoring me and, and 13 other states now. Uh, for five months thinking that we're just going to get bored and go away uh, isn't going to isn't not going to it's not going to be the final result here so what we did uh, because what their what their inaction has amounted to was uh, a violation of the freedom of information act laws as we filed suit and w- what we expected to get is a court order of uh, forcing them to divulge these communications now to be clear we're not asking for any particular investigation or anything like that which they would easily. Uh, Comment in response and say, hey, this is exempt from FOIA because it's an invective investigation. We're acting, we're asking for the communications leading up to the issuance of Mayor Garland's DOJ memo uh to law enforcement. And because of some enterprising, uh thankfully some enterprising parents who, who grouped together and asked for uh, a, a different Freedom of Information Act requests, I believe, got an email or two. I think probably by mistake. I don't think the government was right was was thinking they wanted to give it up, but actually giving us an addition of 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 evidence, uh, a little bit of evidence showing that there was uh, right. at least some communication. And from that, uh, the these like-minded attorneys general'm thankful for each one of them and the states who have joined in this effort uh, have 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 broadened uh, and, and with more force have asked for this information. So we're going to get it one way or the other. And it's, it, it should be very chilling to every American that your federal government would coordinate with an outside group this way, basically an association, maybe, uh, of school, of school board members to, 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 to put a chill, a chill right. on parents simply being concerned about what they were being ta- what their kids were being
1: taught in school. So I want to unpack that for just a moment, General Rakita, because, you know, someone's saying, look, what do you expect from this administration? They've done uh, they've done this kind of stuff from the beginning. You know, let's move on. I mean, we're we're now watching the world implode over in Ukraine uh, because of bad policy choices by this administration. We're paying, uh, you know, over four dollars a gallon for gasoline because of bad policies from this administration. But it's important that we establish what occurred here. Uh, so explain that to our viewers and listeners.
5: So we, what we want is to make sure that this doesn't happen again, number one. We want accountability. We want transparency. We want, and every taxpayer and citizen, <laughs> that's my, our oldest son who just walked in uh, working from home today. Uh, uh, he, We want transparency. We want accountability. We want to make sure every American understands to what extent this communication or collusion or whatever C word you want to use uh, was being done against regular people who were going to a school board meeting because they were, they they cared about their kids. That, that, if we find what we, what we fear we might find, um, that should raise the hair on the back of all of our necks because at that point, really, you know, we're talking about Russia and and its aggression, we're no different than the Soviet Union at that point.
1: Absolutely, because we've already seen that the National School Boards Association apologized for the memo and backed away from it, but the administration did not back away from their direction in terms of beginning to target and track these parents. So this is ongoing.
5: That's true, that's a great point, Tony. Merrick Garland, Department of Justice has not, have not rescinded that memo. All right so they're they're they they're they're, they're, they're putting their basically their middle finger up in our face and saying no we'll do what we want. And and it's got to stop. If we are going to be a country that abides by the rule of law, that means the government is subject to us. You know, this isn't this isn't uh, an oligarch situation. This isn't a king situation where we're subjects to the court of uh, the king's court. We the people are supposed to be over our government. The only thing over us, two things over us, really are the rule of law and, above all else, God. Right,
1: right. Well, General Rikita, I want to thank you for not giving up because you are uh, you're on all of these. Uh, we've seen uh, a number of lawsuits. You've been a key part of each one of them, and. As we say down south, it's like, I mean, you're on this administration like white on rice. I mean, you're just all over it and we're grateful for it and want you to uh, to continue to fight for our freedoms and our rights.
5: Yeah, I know it's all coming at us and we think oh, we get desensitized to it. But it's really your attorneys general in, in like minded states that are making sure that none of this gets forgotten.
1: Absolutely. And uh, and we stand with you. Thanks so much for being with us today. And, and folks, I think this is this is where your voice comes in, just like the the, the trucker convoy, the trucker led convoy. There were a lot of cars, motorhomes and others in that convoy, people expressing their concern over what's happening in America and their desire to protect and retain and reclaim our freedom. And people who were standing, I talked to some folks who were standing on the the overpasses over the weekend as the convoys came through. And, and they described it as a great patriotic moment. Whatever we have, we need to use to preserve what we've been given. And, uh, and that's why I'm grateful for the number of Republican attorneys general that we have that are challenging this administration at every turn. And they're doing some good work and they're having success as well. And so these are where uh, to underscore these local elections, how important they are. Don't negate, don't neglect the down-ballot elections. And make sure you're looking at uh, who's running for attorney general. Obviously, governor's important. Secretary of State, because oftentimes they're the election officers in the state. And of course, state legislatures and such. Don't just get caught up in the big federal elections. State elections matter. Well, speaking of states, uh, on Thursday, the Virginia Supreme Court agreed to hear the case of Peter Vlaming, a uh, high school teacher, fired for avoiding the use of personal pronouns to refer to one of his students. The teacher had made a good faith effort to respect the student's beliefs while not violating his own by politely using her chosen name and avoiding using pronouns when possible. But that wasn't enough for the school superintendent. Peter was fired. Well, the Supreme Court now in Virginia is taking up that case. Joining me now to talk about this and more is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program.
2: Thanks, Tony. It's great to be here.
1: All right. So I uh, just want to make sure everybody's clear uh, on, on this. This isn't about the teacher continuing to use a female pronoun uh, to refer to the student. Uh, he agreed, look, I'll, I'll use the new name that this student is going to uh, to go by, but I cannot be a part of this make-believe uh, game and use the pronouns that are biologically incorrect.
2: That's right. And uh, Mr. Vlaming was a French teacher, and we know that nouns are gendered in French, and they are female or male, so... Um, He, in addition to being a wonderful person and a, and a believer, he, um, simply couldn't go along with this farce of calling a girl, a boy. He agreed to use the name that she had chosen, uh, but she, he, he couldn't call this person by the wrong pronouns. And we are really glad that the Supreme court has taken up this case one would think by, if you read the bios and see the ratings that we have a Leans Republican Supreme Court in Virginia. But as we know in these, these cases that involve sexuality issues, gender issues, any kind of issue that relates to the human fam- family, um, a lot of times we, we're disappointed with results. So we need to pray for these this decision and I, I'm hopeful that it will go our way
1: But you never know. Um, He is being represented by Alliance Defending Freedom that has uh, a pretty good track record there in Virginia on these types of cases. We're grateful for them and the work that they're doing uh, for teachers. They were very involved there in Loudoun County. Um, So we will. We'll watch this case very closely, praying that it does go the right direction. I, I was talking earlier about how the legacy media has portrayed the people's convoy and the, the freedom convoys that have been going across the country, you know, referring to them, um, uh, tracking them through uh researchers who track extremism uh, to try to paint them in that light you know we've talked about this i think last time you were on we were talking about an article that was uh portraying parents getting involved in education as being you know threats that they you know have forced people to get security and all of these hateful emails and such well it's it's interesting there there's another story out of the ap and and folks if you think i am against the, the the legacy media then you're right. I mean, I, let me just say, full candor, I used to be a reporter. Uh, years ago, I was a television reporter and was a defender. In fact, if you go back and read my first book, excuse me, Meg, I'm getting on my soapbox here for just a moment. But in my first book, Personal Faith, Public Policy, I defended even CNN because there was a time when the media was fair and balanced. But Meg, as we've seen now, they're not any longer and this AP story, which I know you've read as well, uh, is speaking in glowing terms of a handful of parents who are trying to counter this wave, this tsunami of parents who are saying enough is enough of this crazy gender-confusing curriculum in the classrooms and they're, who they've belittled at every turn the media has. And now they're trying to puff up these who are trying to stop the banning of these books like Heather has two mommies and, and so on and so forth.
2: Well, it shows you how much work they have to do to deny the truth that they have to unleash the department of justice and all of publishing and these, um, sort of astroturf moms groups like, um, uh, red wine and blue—a uh, group for suburban moms who are for pornography in the library. Apparently, um, it's it's amazing the the lengths that they have to go to to respond when parents stand up. It shows you the power that parents have, and the fact that um, that even with everything arrayed against us in the halls of power from the current administration to many school boards are incredibly progressive and don't share the values of parents, to the legacy media, and this AP article is a classic example. Even with all of those things lined up against us, um, parents still can make a difference, and they still have to fight us.
1: And, and, And parents are making a difference, and that's the point, is the media is doing everything to dissuade them and discourage them by when they do report it, on what these parents are doing. It's negative, but when they report on this minuscule counter voice, as you said, those moms for pornography in the the libraries, they speak of them in glowing terms. I mean, bottom line is, Meg, you're seeing it. You're out there training parents to run for school boards. You're equipping them to get FOIA requests. This is a movement, and now is not the time to back up. Change is in the air if we simply will not give up.
2: It absolutely is we are we are hearing every day from people who want to run for their school board and are looking for help to do so and we're really excited to provide that help. We hear from school board members who are serving on school boards and maybe they're in the minority of votes but they want to speak out more and make it harder for the progressive majority on their school boards to do these unconscionable things and so we're providing them with resources to help them and the more parents can encourage those people in their own communities when when a school board member sticks their neck out and says you know I think we ought to take these books out of the library these are, right. shouldn't be here they need stand parents them. backing them up stand with Absolutely. them send, call their office and say thank you send Meg, them encouraging emails
1: Meg, we've got to leave it there. We're out of time, but we're going to talk a lot more about this. Folks, thanks so much for joining with us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words. The Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported.